0: In this world, there are more stories than conspiracy theories on the internet. Some are false flag, some are UFO-based, some go so deep you don't even know, man. But they're all worth the Illuminati. So, open your tinfoil hat wide and listen. Welcome to Brush Town Stories, episode 26. Arctic, you glad to see me?
1: as my fist punched completely through a Viking zombie in the frozen wastelands of the Canadian Arctic, I could only think of one thing. I hope Herbert's okay. Herbert was my first boyfriend in middle school, and he just recently jumped off the balcony of his home in Michigas, Washington. Usually I'd be all about pummeling the undead, but right now my heart wasn't in it. As I pulled my hand out of the zombie, it moaned and probably said brains, but I wasn't sure since it only spoke Old Norse. The one benefit to fighting zombies in the tundra is they don't smell so bad. Another zombie viking came at me swinging its great sword. I grabbed the horns on its helmet to vault over the viking and then kick out its bony legs from behind. I'd always thought the horned helmets were a myth, but these guys had them, so take that history. Let me back up a tick. It all started when a Canadian, Jordan English, who was the drummer in a tragically hip cover band, was hit by lightning outside his home in West Nipissing. The lightning strike caused him to become fixated on a childhood Christmas where he did not receive a Nintendo 64. He had shaken his little fist to the sky and cursed Santa. This anger was reawakened by the static electric jolt, and he soon headed to the Canadian North Pole region to kill as many reindeer as possible. He felt killing all the reindeer would upset Santa Claus and cause him to appear and then fight Jordan. What Jordan had done instead was stumble upon the tomb of several Viking warriors who were interred in the deep Arctic after a failed venture into these hinterlands. Again, it was unknown until the resurrection that the Vikings made it this far inland. Though it seemed they all died. But if they all died, who made this tomb? Did they build it as they were dying and the last one shut the door behind him? I'm not a nerd, so I don't really care. In any event, Jordan managed to disturb the tomb, triggering the curse by the Norse god of curses, who I'll assume is Loki, because I've heard of him and he always seemed like a jerk. So the Viking zombies trudged out of the tomb, cut Jordan in half, and soon threatened to destroy the province of None of It until none of it was left. I'd taken out about half the undead Vikings when they all started chanting and green mist started pouring out of their nose holes. That's no good. Luckily, we were near a field hospital and there was a medevac helicopter parked outside. I grabbed up a couple of the swords, took out some duct tape from my squatch belt, and quickly went to work. With the swords taped to the helicopter blades, I started the engine, turned the copter upside down, and quickly cut the remaining undead Norse pre-Canadians to ribbons. The whirring blades also dissipated the green mist rendering it harmless. Then I flew the copter towards Ecoloit, which I didn't have enough fuel to reach, so I ended up crashing it just outside of town. But the whirly bird wasn't my concern, as I needed to get back to the U.S. to see Herbert. In the end, it all worked out. Mostly. Apparently there was someone in need of a spleen at the remote hospital and without a copter, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I arrived at Mercy General a few days later. Herbert was in a private room on the eighth floor. His legs were elevated. "'Hey, sexy,' I said, as I put a bouquet of flowers on his nightstand. I then drew an obscene cartoon on his leg cast. He smiled at me. His left eye was red and swollen. It had been a long time since we played hot hands on a soft body at Barty and Johnny's party, but we had always kept in touch. "'What's wrong with you?' I asked. I was mad. He wasn't the type to do what he did. He said he'd been mixing medications, that he was stressed. He played it off 18 different ways, but finally he got down to it. He was being harassed, he said, by dentites. Dentites? Apparently there was some tooth religion in Indiana. Herbert said he'd been working on a big expose for the stranger, the Seattle Alt Weekly. and must have hit a nerve. Apparently they were relentless... He said they were like really possessive seals that ask you where you're going every time you shift on the couch and make you watch every time they eat a fish, and then you find out they even track you via your phone. Damn seals. Balancing the ball of your life like you have no say in it. Possessive, possessive pinniped. That's what these dentites were like. Herbert had worked in an aquarium. It didn't go well, so he was always talking trash about sea life. But I got his meaning. They'll kill me for nothing, Herbert then told me. He even wondered if they were the ones who switched up his medicine. He mentioned a senator in the Ha Ha camps. It sounded a bit crazy, but I let him talk. And when he was done, we sat in silence. I put my hand on his and let the time pass. After a moment, a small little recorded jingle played over the intercom. A baby was born, Herbert said. Apparently they played the little ditty every time there was a birth. It was nice. A nice reminder. It played again. Then again. Lots of people must have been getting lucky nine months ago, I thought. Then, I remember there was an outbreak of that weird horn dog fungus. Those spores cause all sorts of stirrings and purrings. There's no fighting sex fungus. I knew that firsthand. The baby chimes played again. We talked some more this time about the past. About high school, about birthdays at the roller rink. Then, a weird, somber version of the birth charms played over the P.A. Someone died, Herbert said. Oh, I said. Circle of life, Herbert replied with a shrug. He asked if I'd look into the Dentites. Being U.S.-based, they weren't really a CIA issue, but I told him I'd do it. I had a friend at the FBI, and maybe she'd help out. Worth a shot, at least. I mean...
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi,
2: I'm Yusuf Dal, and when I was 18, I was convicted of selling drugs. For the past three years, I've had difficulty finding housing because it is legal in the United States to discriminate against individuals that have a past drug distribution conviction on their record for life. It doesn't matter if it was a hard drug like heroin or a drug that's now legal or partially legal in many states across the country, like marijuana. The Thurman Amendment was introduced to the Fair Housing Act in 1988 by segregationist Strom Thurman. And it's since been used to deny housing to all people. But because people of color are disproportionately jailed for drug charges, we are affected more. My goal is to overturn this amendment to start an end to housing discrimination that unfairly targets people of color. If you would like to join this movement, please visit ThurmanAmendment.org to learn more.
0: A message from the Fable and Folly Network.
1: A few weeks later, I met Agent Samara Javati for drinks. I picked a nice lesbian bar in Marv Town because I knew it'd chap her uptight bonds, and also because I enjoyed the decor. Joan Jett was playing on the speakers as Agent Javadi slunk in. She looked nervous. "'You like the place?' I asked. "'I didn't realize, um, you—' She fumbled for her words. I smirked, then replied, "'They make a good dark and stormy. Sometimes I like dark and stormy. Sometimes I like sunny days. I don't really conform to one type of weather.'" Tamara looked around. Then, she got down to business. I'm sure business is the only thing Samara has ever gotten down to, but she is a sort of sweetness to her conservative, no-nonsense drive. If Dick Tracy were real, of Iranian ancestry, and a woman, he'd be Samara. Samara went on about some Basmanian something or other. Tough as she was, I didn't see her being able to go toe-to-steel toe with Olsa Kilmost. We then traded some more intel, off the record. Then... When I felt the moment was right, I leaned forward, and almost in a whisper I asked, What do you know about the Dentites? Samara said they were harmless, that they were helping bring down the clowns. In her dismissal of them, I was able to confirm a lot of what Herbert told me. But there was no way I could bring this to the boss. This would have to be an off-the-books mission. I could still claim CIA status in case I needed to reveal myself, but this mission would be personal. But where's my inn? How do I slip in amongst a cult? After another half hour or so, Samara excused herself, and I moved to the bar. I had drawn the attention of the bartender when I chugged the scissor tank, a fishbowl-sized drink made from off-brand booze that was supposed to hurt going down like a tank full of scissors. Back at her place, we stayed up mixing our own drinks as I inspected her for clues. Later, we sat on the couch, my arm draped over her. She grabbed the remote. Oh my god, it's... Have you seen this? She flipped through the channels. I don't watch much TV, I replied. She stopped on one of those public access channels or something like that. There was a weird sketch about astronauts and a banana. What is this? She lifted up her leg and pointed to the tattoo on her calf. It was of a tooth and a cartoony red bird. I hadn't really noticed the tat. I was more focused on other areas. That's a tooth, and that's Bluntbird, she said. It's from the show. It's so stupid, but so, like, it's, like, hypnotic. Or just, you know, it's, like, the best. On the TV, a sad-looking guy was doing a dumb dance. Giddy-up, he said. The best, huh? I tried to make sense of what I was looking at. She tried to explain it again. She said it was about toothbrushing, and it was like these guys who were brothers and dentites, I said. She nodded. The sad guy fell down, and then a giant toothbrush smacked him in the butt. This was it, I realized. I had my in. These tooth-loving jerks were going down. For once, TV was going to solve a problem. My problem. Brush them while you got them, jerks. Because soon, you're going to get squashed. By me, Agent Squatch.
0: Brushtown Stories is a Roy Gold production. It was written by Jonathan Goldberg with music by David Origieri. Sasquatch is Jenny Putney. Find out more about the show and cast at podmusical.com. Find out what happens to all of your favorite characters on season two of The Fall of the House of Sunshine coming March 2018 find out what happens to Lil Oski, you're gonna love him, on Season 2 of The Fall of the House of Sunshine, coming March 2018. Thanks for listening, and have a suntabulous bicuspid of a day!
2: The Fable and Falling Network, where fiction producers flourish.